Welcome to Lemmy Works, brought to you by Leadership Education Mentoring Institute. This week's episode is a recording of a conversation produced by Tiffany Earle and Anelody Milne, the founders of Lemmy. We've done our best to enhance the audio of the 20-year-old conference call. While the sound may not be the best, the content is a classic. We have a guest, Cammie Mitchell. She is the director of Youth for America Youth Conferences at Georgewood College, and she is my sister. <laughs> Several years ago, a memo came across my desk from the president of Georgewood College, from Dr. DeMille, and and in this memo, he referred to a word that comes from the Georgewood College mission statement. He was discussing a characteristic of what he called statesmanism. And he was, I don't know who all, you know, at the top of the memo, it did list who the memo went out to. And it was several, several people um, who were doing work in the field of statesmanship and believed in the cause of statesmanship. And, and he, he, he actually defined um, courage in, he said that there were two aspects of courage that were part of being a statesman and statesmanism. He said that both were needed for someone to really be a statesman. One is physical courage. We see physical courage often in soldiers at battle. It's courage in the face of physical danger. And we see that a lot. We can we 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 understand that kind of courage. The other definition and part of courage is what he called moral courage. The courage to do the right thing, no matter the consequences. And both physical and moral courage were needed in in statesmanship. And the best way for me to describe my sister is to say that she embodies both of those types of courage. I remember she lived in Hungary for a couple of years, and and when she came home, I remember just sitting on the edge of my seat listening to her tell us a story once. And it seemed that this theme was throughout, you know, the whole time she was in Hungary, she was faced with this, but she, Cammie and I may totally slaughter the story, and you might have to, have to come in, but I, I told this to my kids the other day, and they ran and found their Aunt Cammie and made her tell them this story. And, and they're like, oh, and, but she just was, was hopping on one of the buses. And in fact, it was probably a trolley. I've been to Hungary now, so was it a trolley, Cammy, one of the Viva Moshes? Exactly. Yeah. There, the, the door opens and you hear the ding, 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 and you got five seconds to jump on. And, and if you don't get on, you just are, you know, half on, half off, you're in trouble. <laughs> you just, you hop on these things and then it goes ding, 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 and off it takes and, we don't have any of those in Utah where, or Idaho where I've always lived. I think I traveled in more different kinds of vehicles in Hungary than ever in the United States. But she was hopping on one of these uh, trolleys, and um, a group of, of um, indigenous Hungarian gypsies stepped aboard. And uh, there, were, there were several of them, maybe about 20 of them you were saying, Cami. There's probably 30. Oh, okay. And so she's just standing there, and she watches 
one of the women of these groups reach over into the purse of the person next to Cammy, and nobody on the bus is doing anything. Everyone turns away as this woman is going to steal from this other woman. Cammy reaches out, grabs hold of the wrist of the woman who's trying to steal the contents of the purse and squeezes. <laughs> and and Cammy is strong. She grabs hold of her wrist, looks in her eyes, and says, let go. Cammy, you tell the rest of the story. <laughs> It was just this little old lady whose purse was being gotten into, and she noticed what was happening, and she looked at me with these eyes. She just begged me to please save her, save her purse. And I did not let go of this this lady, this gypsy that was right in front of me. She had this big, huge black eye, and she stepped right up into my face. She still had not let go of the wallet that she had a hold of and I didn't let go either and when the little old lady realized what was going on she started oh, 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 oh. and so finally the gypsy had to let go because the lady saw what she was doing and we were on a velamo she couldn't get off and run with it and so she let go and she took another step closer to my face and then the other gypsy behind her a man stood right up behind her, and then all 30, all 28 of the other gypsies surrounded me and started yelling and screaming and words that obviously I didn't learn in Hungarian, so it didn't bother me at all, but <laughs> they were all, you know, yelling and screaming at me, and then the man turned around, and while they're yelling and screaming and putting a lot of attention on me, he turned around and started un to unzip just a young girl's backpack and reached in to get it. And I moved over, and I pulled the backpack off the, the young girl's back, and I, I said, they're trying to take something, and I put it on her chest. I said, hold this tighter. And then the gypsies got really angry, and they... <clears throat> She stepped right up to me, and I was positive that they were going to attack. <laughs> and it didn't matter. I knew I was standing for, for the right thing. I stood tall and straight, and I was very prepared to give this, this little gypsy lady another black eye if, if it came to that. But this, this cute little, they're called nanny, nannies, um, they're the women. She just grabbed me and thanked me and thanked me and thanked me for saving her purse. And so did this little young woman that was to the right of me. And the next stop came, and all the gypsies were like, this is useless. She's not going to let us do anything here. Get off. And all 30 of them got off the, the Vila Mosh. Wow. <clears throat> wow. Well, I know that when I read... That memo that came across my desk from Dr. Oliver DeMille, and he was talking about that aspect, that characteristic of what it means to be a statesman, that I didn't have to actually go to a book to find what I was looking for. I was able to look at my own sister and know I understand what Oliver DeMille is talking about. I understand what it means to have 
the physical courage and to have the moral courage to do what's right. And it's, it's embodied in my sister. And that's something that I want to grow within myself to have that kind of courage. And I'm so, we are excited and grateful to have Cami Mitchell on as our guest today. And especially with what we will be discussing today, and I'll go ahead and introduce that. We, we know that what we're doing with Scholar Project, with our youth, is we are inspiring and helping and teaching and training our youth to be able to cross the chasm to greatness. And we realize that there are four areas that we specifically inspire our youth to grow in. And one is vision. One is the knowledge that they have a unique purpose here on this earth, and that's mission. The other is skills, skills in time management, skills in thinking, skills in writing, skills in reading, so many so many areas for skills, and the other one is ability. One today's conference call, we will be discussing several things, but one aspect is the vital ability of say go be do. And where we focus on this ability in our scholar projects is in the apprentice scholar class, but that is not the beginning of our youth learning and understanding this ability. That is where they fine-tune it. And so we have dedicated today's hour and a half to discussing and inspiring each of you as our administrators and our teachers that are working with our families and these children to to actually <clears throat> do it yourself and inspire those around you to grow in the ability of say go be do. I'll tell you a story about Sumichi Suzuki. When when he I'll give you the history of how say go be do came about. I mean it's it's a principle that exists. It's a universal principle that exists, but how this, the way we've named it came about, I will tell you that story. Um, Sunichi Suzuki lived in Japan, and after World War II, of course, Japan was simply just decimated. There was so much destruction, and he and his sister looked everywhere for a boy named Koji. He was he there was something inside of him that made him know that before the war he had had a student. The boy was about seven years old. And he he was one of his violin students. In fact, his parents had moved to Tokyo just so Suzuki could train their son. Well, <clears throat> Koji's parents were killed during the war. And they finally found him. He was being his uncle had him. His uncle um, occupation was a bar, and for three years the boy Suzuki had lived in that bar, and the uncle was very happy to give Koji to Suzuki's family to raise in a good home environment instead of a bar. Well, 
here comes this 11-year-old boy into the orderly home of Suzuki, totally different than the bar. And, of course, he's a lot different than the 7-year-old Koji that Suzuki knew. And his behavior had very undesirable aspects to it now. And there may be some of us as teachers or even as parents who have children with undesirable behavior that's unrefined or that's actually mean or or anything like that. And so this principle is so powerful. Well, the first year Koji was with them, they told Koji, you need to change. And they focused on Koji. And they continually tried to train him and tried to teach him and tried to get him to change. And they were not making any progress. And finally, Suzuki says to his sister, he says, this isn't working. I have a better idea. He says, how about when the thought comes to us to do something, we do it? How about when we think we should act, we act. Let's focus on ourselves. And so they agreed to do this. And the training began. And he tells the story that one day his sister comes in from a blizzard. She's taking off her snowy wrappings and said, says, oh, I, I passed a veteran and I should have invited him over for tea. And Suzuki goes over to her, wraps her back up again and says, you should have. And he boots her out into the snow. And, you know, half an hour later, she comes back from the blizzard, and she brings in this wounded soldier from the war. And, and he's like, oh, oh, your sister invited me. And, uh, and he goes, no, come in, come in. And they sit down around the kotatsu, and they have tea and cookies and have a pleasant evening. Who knows the difference that that made to that man that night? But the training had begun, that they had begun to, they began to act when the thought came. And he says that, sure enough, Koji's behavior changed. Well, I was reading this. When I was reading this, it was really strange. I looked down on my paper, and I had words across. It it, it was Melody's book. I was reading her book, Nurture (laughs) by Love. (laughs) But she knows that I write in the books, and it's so fun. I love borrowing her books because I get to see how her notes, where she highlights and writes and if she ever borrows mine, she can see how I write. And Anyway, I'd written all across her book these words, say, go, be, do. And it was totally unconscious. And I was like, what? And I looked at the words, and they triggered a song in my mind. And I began to hum it. And, and you know, this is the great, great thing about classics is that when we are reading something, their soul reaches across time and space and can touch our soul. So that was exactly what happened at that moment between me and Sanichi Suzuki, is that his soul reached across time and space and touched mine, touched my heartstrings, and I knew he and I had something in common. It was the same thing that had happened when I was 15 and I was reading Time Potak in The Chosen. And um, he defined friendship in a way that I understood. And he defined education in a way that no one at that point in time had ever voiced. And I understood and I knew 
that Chaim Potok and I had something in common, and we saw the world the same way. And that's what happened here as I read, and I knew, and it was crazy because I knew that Sunichi Suzuki's theme was my theme. And, and it had been since I was 13 years old. And the, the song was, it was in the hymn book at church. <laughs> and it, it was simple. And these were the words that I began to hum and sing. Let me, it says, it may not be on the mountain height or over the stormy sea. It may not be at the battle's front. My Lord will have need of me. But if by a still, small voice he calls to paths that I do not know, I'll answer, dear Lord, with my hand in thine, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want to say. Go ahead and say me are you there yeah is that you yeah you can sing it <laughs> I'll be what you want me to be let me go get the words that's right perhaps today there are loving words which Jesus would have me speak there may be now in the paths of sin some wanderer whom I should seek. O oh, Savior, if thou wilt be my guide, though dark and rugged the way, my voice shall echo the message sweet. I'll say what you want me to say. There's I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. There's surely somewhere in a lowly place, in earth's harvest filled so white, where I may labor through life's short day for Jesus the crucified. So trusting my all to thy tender care, and knowing thou lovest me, I'll do thy will with a heart sincere. I'll be what you want me to be. When I realized it didn't matter that Sunichi Suzuki and I were worlds apart in our religion, I should say in our church, because our religiosity was the same. Our theme was the same. In fact, it it was amazing because not only was I tied to Suzuki, but he he then put words to to what he was teaching. He says to merely want to act is not enough. I looked at that. To you know, it's always the thought that counts, right? He says it's not the thought that counts; it's the action that counts. He says um, to merely want. Here's what he says. If you think of doing something, do it. To merely want to do something is not enough. There is no merit in just thinking about doing something. The well, result, if you think yes. about that for a second, I mean, that's a huge concept. We always hear it. Well, thank goodness it's just the thought that counts. Yeah. 
And we're saying it's not true. It's not the thought that counts because if you don't follow through and act, then that friend was never called whose life could have been changed had you acted. But just by thinking about it, it did nothing for that person. For not smiling and acting when that person needed a smile, you chose not to serve that person and change his or her life. But you sure thought about it, but it just doesn't add up. Yeah, he says the result is exactly the same as not thinking about it. It is only doing the thing that counts. Tiffany? Yes. This is Anelity. Hi. Hi. You know, I I just have to share a story. I'm here in Colorado. I know. I'm here in Colorado, and um, I've been hanging out with these amazing people here who are doing amazing works. And um, I, uh, one of the ladies here told me the coolest story last night. She said that she had taken her kids to Hawaii on vacation, and before she had gone to Hawaii on vacation, she had been um, befriending a, a girl that worked for her company. And um, she said that she... Um, this girl had really kind of messed up her life. and She was trying to help her, you know, um, to make a better better of her life. And she said that um, she'd been kind of turning her toward a more religious life, more devoted to God life. And um, they went to Hawaii, and she did not enjoy her vacation at all because before she went to Hawaii, or while she was in Hawaii, she just had this this pressing say go be do on her heart um, that she had not invited this young woman to Bible study with them, and she knew she was supposed to, and she left to go to Hawaii before she did it. She couldn't enjoy her vacation at all. She was miserable the entire time because she had not obeyed that prompting. No, too many of us know how that feels. I know. And I, I'm thinking it's not the, the thought that counts. She was having the thought. <laughs> it was making her miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and when it wasn't until she got home, she called her up and said, "You know, I just wanted to invite you to our Bible study." And she says, "I was wondering when you were going to ask me. I felt like maybe there was something wrong with me." <laughs> wow. Wow. It's true. It is the the feelings and the thought to act actually come to us. And and the way that that Tolstoy uh, defines say go be do is this. He says conscience is the voice of God. And that's what Suzuki had come across that when he was nineteen. Hey, this is this is a great story. Suzuki's father owned a a factory that made violins. And Suzuki himself had never heard the violin. In fact, he says that the only thing he used it for, besides helping in the factory, was sometimes he'd hit his sister on the head with it. Okay? (laughs) And so he lied to the foreman at the factory, Suzuki did. And he felt really bad inside, and he took off on a walk. And he walked to the local bookstore, and his eyes fell upon the diary of Tolstoy. And he opened the book, and his eyes looked at the passage that Tolstoy says, conscience is the voice of God. And 19-year-old Sunichi Suzuki began to shake and shake 
because it, he knew it was true and that he had lied to himself and he had lied to the foreman. And and he bought the book and it became part of his creed and his life. And so the definition of, say, go we do, conscience is the voice of God. And when you think, if you think of doing something, do it. And there, this was a crazy thing. There was no English translation. It was two sentences. In fact, really, it was a whole paragraph, if we included everything that Suzuki said about it. The whole paragraph. And he had a Japanese word for it. I'm like, I'm not going to use a Japanese word. <laughs> they go with your work. That's what it is. But don't you find it interesting that there was no English translation for this concept? And here's why we've invited Cammie on to our call today. She is fortunate enough that she works with the youth that we work with, with a lot of them. She gets them for three days out of the summer. <laughs> they get to come to YFA. And the theme of YFA, the whole theme for all of the conferences, not just one of them because they have four different levels and each level has its own theme, but the overall theme is Say Go Be Do. And so every year when, when those kids come, they get to learn about this principle, not only from their scholar project teachers, but again at YFA. And she gets to see firsthand what happens when there's actually a word put to this eternal universal concept and principle. We're interrupting this broadcast to remind you to share and subscribe. Also, be sure and check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. Cammie, first of all, before you tell us about what happens to your counselors and, and to the youth, tell us what happened when you finally decided to live, not just teach Say Go Be Do, but it, it's amazing. She tells me that she was, she was driving along and the thought hit her that, oh my gosh, I have to live this. I have to live this. If I'm going to teach this, and she'd been teaching it, she said, I've got to live this. Tell us what happened. Well, Tiffany, when you first taught me this concept, I mean, it's a principle that all of us actually already know. And that's, that's why right. it's ringing so true to us, because we've we've known it. It's inside us, but we've never had a word for it. So thank you, Tiffany, for say go we do. And so when when you were teaching me this principle, I knew how huge it was. And so I decided that it was the overall theme for YFA, and we started teaching it right away. And the more books that I read, the more that I realized that this concept, this principle is everywhere. There are so many books written about it. They just don't get it. They don't have a word for it. And um, and so I, I would teach them, I would teach my counselors, and I would teach the youth as they came through about Say Go Be Do and how, how it was it was making such a difference. It would make such a difference. If this was the only thing that they changed in their life, that Stephen R. Covey says in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says that the difference between someone who acts and someone who doesn't is not just a night and day difference. It's a 5,000% difference. And Tiffany, as I was talking to you just last night, 
we realized that is really hard to wrap our mind around. I read that and I understood. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's huge. This is a huge problem. Jimmy, you're a mathematician. 5,000% means something to you. <laughs> it is huge. Yeah, yeah. To, to, to relate it to our human life, I'm like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, and it clicked. I understood for the first time because if a human being does a full 180, they're facing north and then they turn around and face south and head a completely different direction. That is a 100% change, I would imagine. But that's in one human being. The reason that, that if we say go be do, if we act on those impressions when they come, the reason that it could be a 5,000% difference guys, is because it's not just about me. When I flip directions and decide I am going to act, I am going to be a completely different person. But not only that, I am going to be affecting hundreds and hundreds of other people because now I'm not just thinking about the, these things. Now I'm actually smiling when I'm told to smile. And I'm actually making that phone call when I feel impressed to make that phone call. And I'm actually taking a few minutes and writing a note when it says take a minute and write this note. And so those people that are the reaping our rewards of us acting, that is why there is a 5,000% plus difference in our lives. And so I, I've always taught this. I've taught this for six years, for heaven's sakes. And I was driving home. I had just worked out at the gym. Actually, I wasn't driving home yet. <laughs> I just um, I'd walked into the gym, and this my best friend's son, his name's Jordan, he was sitting in his car. And I said, hey, Jordan, how's it going? And, he's, and he was on the phone. He goes, terrible. It's a terrible day. And I, I went to walk over to him, realized he was on the phone. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, you know. And I just went into the gym and, and did my workout. Came out and um, got in the truck. And I was headed to get my little girl because I'm a move through and I don't always make it on time. And I was really, really excited that I was going to be on time to pick up Caitlin, my six-year-old. And on my way to the truck, I had the impression to leave a note on Jordan's car. And I thought, oh my goodness, I am actually going to be on time to pick up Caitlin. She, you know, this is going to be a huge record for me. I I stopped my workout, you know, in just enough time. I, I've got to go. I don't have time. So I jumped in the car and was really proud of myself. I'm going to be on time for my daughter and said to myself, okay, if I'm really supposed to write a note, I'll pick up Caitlin and then I'll go back. And so I pick up Caitlin. She's telling me about how the activity was. And I asked her, I said, do you have uh, a pen on you? And she's like, Mom, I'm six years old. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, Caitlin. Well, well do you have any papers? <laughs> she said, Mom. No, I don't have a piece of paper. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't even have a piece of paper or a pen. I can't write a note to Jordan. And then my mind started going about the thousand other things that I needed to do. So I'm headed home. And the thought comes again, go leave a note on Jordan's car. 
And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I don't have a pen. I don't have a paper. He's probably already gone. And I nearly drove into my driveway, you guys, and I stopped. I hit the brakes really hard, and Caitlin's like, are you okay, Mom? And I said, for heaven's sakes, Cammie, say go we do. I have been teaching this for how long? And I'm actually going to talk myself out of doing it. How can I ever expect my youth to act if I don't? And I said, Caitlin, hold on just a minute. And I flipped the truck around, raced back to the gym, found a piece of paper, found a pen. Of course, all of our excuses, they're, just, they're nothing more than that, just an excuse. I wrote a little note and said, I hope you're having a better day. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I don't even remember exactly what I said and, and left it on his car. And I'm like, oh, man. Here's a 17-year-old kid. He's probably going to go, what in the heck is this? But just by doing it, you guys, just by leaving the note and getting back in the car, I can't tell you. And now to your friend who couldn't even have fun in Hawaii, that's what happens because we know we're supposed to act. And it, we won't let it go. The, the impression is on us. It keeps saying, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And we keep coming up with one excuse after another, after another. It felt so good to leave that note. I put my hands in the air and go, Woohoo! <laughs> now my little Caitlin is really knowing her mom's crazy. And it, I just went, yes, I acted. Now, if I never hear anything else from this, it doesn't matter. Because I know I did my part. And most of the times, I have to tell you, most of the time, we do not get to, to hear the rest of the story. Because if we did, there's no way, there's no way that we would not act. A hundred percent of those impressions, we would, we would be compelled to. But most of the time, we don't get to see the rest of the story. But in this particular case, I got to see it play out. I came home, started doing everything else, got busy with, with the rest of life. And about an hour later, I get a phone call, and it's my best friend, Janet. And she says, Cammie, thank you so much. I'm thinking, what did I do? What did I do? And she goes, for, for leaving that note on Jordan's car. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, oh, Janet, it was nothing. And I'm thinking <laughs> in my mind. It should have been nothing if I had acted the very first time I'd had the prompting. It wouldn't have been that big of a deal. I made it a big deal. And so I said, oh, Jenna, you know, no problem. I'm I'm glad I could leave him a note. She's like, really, it meant a lot. It meant a lot to Jordan. And so I was thinking, yay, it meant a lot. It was worth doing. And I'm getting ready to hang up, and she, she's pausing. And she goes, now for the real reason that I'm calling. And I could feel and hear the emotion in her voice. And so I sat down and I said, Jana, what's going on? And in tears she explained to me, Cammie, you know that I'm addicted to caffeine. We've been friends for four years and you know how hard it is for me 
and I hate coming to you because you're always trying to help me and I still fall down right on my face. And this particular day, I came home from work having had Coke after Red Bull, after Red Bull, after pills filled with caffeine. She said, I fell onto my knees in my bedroom in tears, begging Heavenly Father, begging God, please help me. I want to get rid of this addiction, but I can't do it by myself. And Janice explaining, she says, Cammy, the impression came for me to call you. Now here's her sake, Obi-Doo. But she said, I couldn't. I couldn't admit to you again that I am failing in my addiction. I can't do this by myself. I was not going to call you. No way was I going to admit to you again that I still am not conquering this addiction. And she says, but I decided I could call my son. And so she gets on the phone and calls Jordan and says, Jordan, how are you doing? And what does Jordan say? Of course. Immediately he says, Mom, you've got the coolest friend. Cammie is just awesome. I have had the worst day, and she left me a note on my car. Will you tell her thank you for me? And Jenna says, oh, no. (laughs) She knew that now she had to call me. And so she hung up the phone from Jordan, and she's like, well, I'll just call Cammie and tell her thank you for writing that note. And I don't have to tell her what else is going on. And so she got on the phone with me, broke down, and said, Cammie, now you know the real reason I have to call you. I need help. And as this all played out in my mind, she never would have been able to call me had I not left that note on Jordan's car. Do you see how it all plays out? All those impressions when acted upon. There's so many lives that are affected. And I was able to get her in touch with with my other sister, Angie, who has developed this huge program and knew all about the 12 steps. And we got on the Internet and we got her to the meeting that night in one hour from when we were talking to her to be able to help and, and do what she was supposed to do and be, be able to join with other people who are overcoming addictions. And it's been so interesting how life ha- it, life is cyclic, ups and downs, ups and downs. And two weeks ago, I had another Sagobidu with this same situation. And she she did really good for a long time on that program. And then she got into school and got busy and started needing the caffeine to, to keep her up. And didn't two keep weeks, going. And Yeah. She didn't keep going. She stopped going to the to the twelve step completely. And I felt impressed that these this nutritional cleanse that my family has felt a call to share and to bring to the world. I felt impressed that it was her that I was to share with. And so I went and 
took her away from her busy schedule and talked to her. I said, I have another Seiko Bidou, and I've got to share something. And as I shared it, she wept. She's like, Cammie, I've been trying so hard, and I know you're helping me. I'll do this. And it's been four days that she's been on this, been doing this nutritional cleanse. She called me, and I put her on speakerphone because my whole family knows her story. And she is on the speakerphone, and my dad and Jonathan and Romy, everybody's listening. And she says, Cammie, I can't believe it. It's been four days, and my body is satisfied. I don't even want sugar, let alone caffeine. And I can't believe it. Thank you. Thank you for acting. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. You guys, there are so many people that we need to to act on our impressions in order to save their lives in some different way. So, Tiffany, in answer to your question, that was the day that Say Go Be Do got inside of me and turned me upside down. And I realized that I needed to keep a journal and document when I was having these Say Go Be Do's. And it when I go back and read the different things that that are happening to me, and then to see how much more often they come because I'm acting. Oh, my goodness, it's unbelievable. And so when I was teaching my counselors this year, it was, I raised the bar, Tiff. I raised the bar on, on my counselors because it had gotten inside of me, and I was going to share what was in there with them. And I I um, love this part. I love what <laughs> happened when you wrote the They Go Be Do song. You have to tell us the song. And then <laughs> how your counselors argued with you and said, no, it can't mean that. <laughs> and then when you gave them the challenge, tell us, tell okay. us. Okay. It's so fun. This is so fun. I hope everybody's having as much fun as I am. <laughs> All you yellows out there. Um I I had, I, from the very beginning, we've had a little Say Go Be Do song. And it was, say what you want to say, go where you want to go, be who you're supposed to be, do what you want to do. You can make a difference. And I, and I started thinking, okay, once Say Go Be Do really got inside me, Tiff, it really took hold. Yeah. Yeah. And I re- I started realizing, whoa, 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 this really is a 5,000% difference, not just a 10% difference. Um, then I took the words of this song, and I started to really think, because all the books that I've been reading in, in leadership and self-deception, the whole book is about say, go, be, do, and what happens when you don't act and he calls it self-betrayal when you don't fact, act if, and you don't honor I can, it. If I can interrupt this, if I can at least add something right now. Yeah. It's, I, gosh, I realize that there's there's two aspects to say go we do. Well, or I don't know how many aspects there are. But it's one thing to realize that you have the thought and then to choose to act 
sometimes we don't know we have the thoughts. And I was rereading the story uh, about 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 dad, and really he he and, and mom were probably the first teachers of, of this principle to me. But m- my dad tells a story that that changed me. And I've known this story my whole life. I mean, it's just one of the stories that we grew up on. Every once in a while, he would share it. And I remember I called him one time and asked him to share it with me, and I typed it up as he shared it. And it was when I was reading it typed that I had this huge aha because he he was in Bolivia, in Peru. I'm not sure which. He was either Bolivia or Peru, and I think it was in Peru. And um, he... He wor- was working in Peru, and each night when he'd come home, he'd buy his dinner from the vendors with his partner, and they would, uh, he says, we would forego our dessert and buy an extra meal for this this blind boy. He was 15. He had uh, matted hair. He um, he just would beg for food, and they would buy him a meal. And they couldn't speak his language. He, he spoke, I think it was Quechua, and... My dad spoke Amara in Spanish, so the vendors would interpret their conversations when they would have one. And the boy's parents died when he was young, and he had just lived right there. And he asked the vendors, well, where where does he really live? And they said, he lives in a cardboard box under the eave of your apartment. And so this one night, uh, my dad got home from work. It was freezing cold. He and his partner ran up to their room turned the heat up as high as they could, pulled extra blankets out of the cupboard, jumped into bed, and he was just jumping into bed, and the thought came, go down and bring Miguel up to sleep in your room. And his head hit the pillow, and he said, no, it's too cold. He'll be fine. He always sleeps outside. He's used to it. And then the thought came, bring him blankets. And he said, no, I'm tired and it's cold. And he'll be fine. He's used to sleeping outside where it's cold. And he fell asleep. And he says the next morning he got up, went to work, came home that night, went to buy dinner for Miguel. And the vendor said, are you buying that for Miguel? And he says, yes. And he says, you don't have to. He says, well, why not? And he says, well, Miguel died last night. He froze. They'd taken him to the river. My dad was 19 years old. That 5,000% difference was the life of a boy. And my dad said, it hit me. It hit me so strong. And I determined I would never let that happen again. I've thought a lot about what that boy gave. And I realized that I would not know Thaygobidu the way I know Thaygobidu if that boy had not given his life that night. And I honor Miguel. And I realized that my dad had taught me something, not only about listening to the say go we do's when they come to our heart or to our mind and we have the desire to do something or the thought to do something, 
but that if I am justifying something in my mind, then I can, it's a red flag. Boom. Oh, why am I sitting here justifying something in my mind? Why am I sitting here talking myself out of doing something? Tiff, can I, I share the... Say, go, we do. Yeah, yeah, can I share the list that in in leadership and self-deception, any of these things happen, and it can be the red flag that, oh, my goodness, I've betrayed myself. I have not acted on That's my right. say, go, we do. It's a lack of commitment, lack of engagement, troublemaking, conflict, lack of motivation, stress, poor teamwork, backbiting, misalignment, lack of trust, lack of accountability, communication problems, lazy and considerate. I mean, oh my gosh, the list goes on and on and on. And so like when, when you say, Tiffany, if we're justifying, if we're giving excuses for not acting on something, that that was huge to me when you taught that to me because... Oh my gosh, stop, 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 stop. Backpedal. There's a say go be do here that I'm trying to get out of. <laughs> and so I have to literally walk backwards, get the impression again, and then the very first time, act. That was huge to me because that helped me realize when those impressions, that, oh my gosh, that was an impression and I'm already trying to talk myself out of it. That was you huge. Know, it, it's funny because I've I've tried to think about it, the the how how does the desire to act come, you know? And it comes in so many ways to so many different people. And I looked at my life. I looked at my life and said, I know two particular ways they come to me. That the say go be do's come. One is when I get the thought to do something. Just the thought. And the other and this was the one that, that was surprising to me because it wasn't a thought. It was it was a desire in my heart. And, Tammy, after you tell us about your counselors, I will tell you about something recently that just happened to Melody and I that came that way. Wow. A desire in our heart. Cool. Okay. So, going backwards. <laughs> um, <laughs> as I was sitting with the words of the song, because I, I was getting ready to for my retreat to train my counselors and I was really looking at the words of, of my little song and I knew they had to be changed it was interesting and as they came to me I wrote I wrote say what you need to say go where you are called to go be who you are supposed to be and do what you, and I wrote, have to do. I'm like, oh, that's so harsh. And I crossed out have and do what you need to do. And I crossed out need and do what you want to do. And I crossed out want and do what you have to do. I kept coming back to do what you have to do. I couldn't believe how strong that was. But acting, oh, my heck, it is not easy. We have got to do. And it is like in one of the little backyard again songs. <laughs> I've been that is such a fun cartoon. <laughs> I was singing one of them this morning to my husband. <laughs> do you wanna make pie? Sorry, okay. What one are you singing now? <laughs> well, it just it talks about he says, I I have to do this 
and it's not going to be fun, but I have to do it. I have to get it done. And I'm like, you know what? It is so true. We have to do. And so when I was teaching my counselors, say, go, we do this song, and we were going over it. You know, the the one counselor raises his hand. He's like, oh, man, do we have to say do what you have to? It sounds so mean, so harsh, so, ah. And I took, I picked up the eraser. And I walked up to the board and I, and I stopped myself. And I put down the eraser and I turned around and I said, you know what? I mean, there's 22 Georgewood College students sitting there questioning you know, what what the words of this song is. And I said, yes, it has to be this way. When a mother is, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, to follow through on dad's commitment to himself, he, he had to go down and get Miguel to save his life. That's right. And years later, 15 years later when he was walking out the door to go to work and the thought came to him to find his his one-and-a-half-year-old little girl, Sarah. The thought came, find Sarah. He had to stop, turn around, go in the house, get everyone looking for her to save her life. He had to or she would have died. Exactly. But, yeah, this isn't an easy thing. <laughs> and that's what I had to explain to my counselors. When when we're prompted to actually act, it's not easy. That's why most of us don't do it. It's so much simpler to just have the thought and go, whew, I'm glad that it's the thought that counts. <laughs> that's the easy part. <laughs> we don't have to do anything do what you have to do. Oh, my heck, this is a hard step. But, yes, it has to be have to. You have to do it. If you don't, who is? Who is going to? Dad didn't act that night, Tiff. And he he saw the consequences. And maybe our consequences aren't a life or death situation. But maybe they are. Maybe giving that smile or helping mom do the dishes, or sitting down with our three-year-old and playing shoots and ladders, maybe it does make that big of a difference. And so I explained to them I was not going to change that. And it had to be that way. And so they were like, whoa, okay. And and I said, and I'm going to further challenge you. And so as I taught them, say, go, we do, I said, I've always taught this. We've taught this every year of YFA. And a lot of you counselors have been gone through YFA, and now you're my counselors. And a lot of you... Okay, now listen. Listen, because we have given challenges to our teachers before, and it's always been before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And they have been awesome challenges. And as Cammie explains the challenge that she gave her counselors, I want our teachers to take this challenge from now till Christmas. And after Christmas break, send me and the Melody um, your your this challenge that Cammy is going to give. I want I want a report on this. 
It will change your guys' life. It will actually make Sagobidoo be an integral part of you. And I am so going to I, take the challenge too. Awesome. Me too. Me too. So I sat my my counselors down. I said, "Okay, you guys know what Sagobidoo is. It's here in your mind. Now we're going to put it to the test. We're going to bring it into our lives. We're going to put it in our hearts. We're going to write it." And so every time, over, we had a, a month and a half before YFA would start, I said, every time you are impressed to act, you do it. And not only act, but then I want you to have a Say Go Be Do journal. And I want you to write down what just happened to you. I want you to keep track of every single Say go be do. No matter how small, no matter how big, I want them in your journals. And weekly, I want you to email me and tell me about your say go be do's. And not only that, tell me about how much more often they're coming. How much easier it is to act the fifteenth time of doing this. Because after doing something ten times, you guys. You own it. And so after they started acting, 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 it's, oh, I see the red flag. I'm justifying. I need a backpedal. Oh, there's my say go be do. And you act. All of a sudden, you're not coming up with three and four excuses. You're not going to Hawaii before you act. All of a sudden, it was easier for them to, to recognize, to recognize, oh, there's a say go be do. And they would literally say out loud, say go be do. And they would do it. And then they would email me on Mondays and tell me about their say go be do's. And they were as big as my one counselor. Oh my heavens. I mean, I gave this challenge, okay? And with the, the full day retreat, within a few minutes, one of my counselors came up to me and said, I know how important this retreat is. Say go be do. I have got to leave. Can I have two hours? And I said, heck yes, go, go, go. A few minutes later, I'm teaching some more stuff. A few minutes later, when another counselor comes up to me, Kemi, can I go out in the hall? I said, are you sick? What's going on? No, say go be do. I've got to make a phone call. <laughs> go, 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 go. And I want to report. About 20 minutes later, Another one of my counselors, I am not kidding you guys, three counselors. The third one comes up to me and says, when does this end? And I said, about 8 o'clock. Is there something going on that you didn't tell me about? He goes, well, I've got to drive somewhere tonight. And I said, but you live here. I didn't realize you had something else to get to. And he says, I didn't, but I do now. I've got to make a four-hour drive. I've got to be there tonight. Can I leave about 7? of eight. I said, is this a say go be do? He goes, yes. I said, go ahead. Go. Go right now. And I want to report. And I can't believe what happened to my counselors. They got it. They took this challenge. And one of my counselors went home that day. He'd been dating this girl for three years, back and forth, off and on. He just is really noncommittal. He's like, say what we do. He took her out and asked her to marry him. 
<laughs> and he wrote me back on the engagement announcements and said, thank you so much. The reason we're getting married is fake obi-doo. I finally acted. I finally acted on the impression. So I sit here last night talking to you, and I wrote the question, when have I ever had it? I mean, of course I've had them, but I just couldn't. Oh my it wasn't coming to me, right? Um, yeah. And I'm sitting here, and all of a sudden I remembered that just a few weeks ago when I went to Canada with Anelody, that every single thing, one after the other, after the other, after the other, the entire, I mean, we'd gone because the whole thing was was us acting on a desire and um, and acting. And even the whole accident of me going and being able to go to Canada with her where they were creating Keep Liberty for Canada, that was her purpose in going. I mean, for years we've wanted to create Keep Liberty for Canada, and it is the right time. And the whole process of that team together working on the curriculum, the scholar project for the Canadians, and here I I want to tell the story of what happened. So um, I went with her on this trip where my schedule was opened up. Um, Anelody's husband felt like I was supposed to go, and I was able to, and we're on this trip. We had the whole 12-hour, well, um, for me, it was an 18-hour drive. With her, we had a 12-hour that turned into a 14-hour because we get we were great with uh, running out of gas and losing our way. But um, the whole the whole drive was a much needed time for Anelody and I to spend together. And we got there, and because I went, we had to leave a little bit early to get me back to Salt Lake for my ride home. And and so we had planned on leaving um, Sunday just after church, going back and eating and, and leaving and getting partway home. And and it and it was important to us, but we we went to church, and Anelody and I both looked at each other. It was actually when we were walking out, getting ready to go to church, and we both looked at each other, and we both kind of said at the same time, "I really hate to leave without seeing." Um, it, well, I said, "I really hate to leave without seeing so and so." At the same time that she said. I really feel like we're supposed to go see so-and-so. And it was the same so-and-so, okay? <laughs> so we looked at each other, and we said, how are we going to see them? And we said, well, we know where they go to church. <laughs> and it's a half an hour from here, and if we go to church with your sister Katie and her new husband Jonathan, and we leave their church a little early, then we can go over to so-and-so and we can at least sit by them during church. That was all we were going to do because we had to get home. And so we both had this desire to see them. And 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 she had the, the, the feeling they needed us and I had the desire to see them. And um, so we said, well, we'll at least go sit next to their family during church. Okay, that's all we were going to do. Just go sit by them, right? So my sister, Katie, and her husband, Jonathan, and another member of the curriculum development team, his name was Ryan, all decided that, that everyone wanted to go. All of us felt the desire to go. 
So we went to the one church, and it got out. And we drove a half an hour and walked into the church, found the family, and all of us went in and sat down next to them. Okay? And we sit there for the church, and we saw another member of the family, and two of us went up and sat by that person. So we, all of us, were with that family. And um, after the church, we were standing around. We went out in the hall, and we're standing with this family talking to them. And um, the the oldest boy, um, he he's 18. The oldest boy just broke down. And he said, I needed you. And we just hugged him, and, and everyone kind of went off their own way, and I stayed and talked to him, and this is what he said. He said, I have been struggling this week. I'm in George with college extension classes. <clears throat> They're hard. I've got personal, you know, weights on my plate. He said, last night, I just broke down, and I just prayed, God, do you know me? Do you love me? Am I yours? And he said, the thought came to me to write down the names of people who I know love me and who have impacted my life. And I wrote down the names, Anelody Milne, Tiffany Earle, Jonathan and Katie Duick, and Ryan Sadler. And when I looked up, and saw the five of you walk in, I knew God loved me and knows me. And then the rest there. of the story is that we get a phone call here, and this young man says to Jim Rose, our father, says, I just want to thank you for teaching your children how to say go be do because they were my angels today and they have been many times. I've been able to receive when they've acted in my behalf. And he thanked Dad. Wow. You know, it really makes a difference when we actually listen to the desires of our heart and when we act when when we have the desire to do so. And it's crazy, but it is the hardest thing in the world. And when you lay your pet your head on your pillow at night and the thought comes to get up and go in and do those dishes, that's what I tell the youth in my class. I'm like, I can't think of anything harder. <laughs> I can't think of anything harder than to get up and go do them. Can I and teach just something really, really quick, Tiff? Yes. It's been so powerful to me. Yesterday, I mean, a year ago, I I didn't even, I don't even think I, I knew a millionaire, let alone sat with one. I was at the feet of three millionaires this week, and yesterday one of them taught me this principle that was just amazing. And to me, the fact that they're a millionaire, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But the fact that they're a millionaire in a service company means that they were able to change thousands and millions of lives in order to be where they are. 
And then all of a sudden, I had a paradigm shift. You know what? You are important to me. I want to learn how to help and serve others as much as you have. And so I've sat at the feet of these these three this week, and one of them taught me this principle. Yesterday was just fascinating, and Tiff, I was going over this a little bit with you last night. There's four types of brain waves, and a lot of you on this call might already know this. There's delta, theta, alpha, and theta, T-H, theta. Beta is when we come into this world and when we're going out of this world. Our brain wavelength is beta. The two wavelengths, alpha is when we're asleep, and theta is when we're relaxed and calm and in a comfortable place. Delta is when we are worried or stressed or negative or in, in, or we're complaining or justifying or blaming. Okay? Any of those things that we are doing puts us in a delta brain wavelength. Okay? And George Ruiz taught me this yesterday is the only places that you can receive the inspiration. So these impressions that we're talking about, acting on, we can't be in delta if we want to receive them. We can't be um, doing all those negative things, complaining and justifying and worrying and stressing, if we want to receive these impressions and these ideas and these, these thoughts, then we need to be in alpha or theta, and it's from 8 to 40 cycles per minute of the brain wave. And you don't have to understand all that. All that you do have to understand is that you have to be in a positive place, relaxed, peaceful. You have to be still. And that's when these impressions are able to come to us. If we're so busy running around doing this and that and complaining about it and justifying and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, then we are not able to receive these impressions. And it's so interesting when I was teaching my sister Sarah about Say Go Be Do, she says, oh, Cam, that's all good and fine for you. You get impressions all the time, but I don't. And so it really turned me inward to start figuring out what, why. And it this hit me as as this mentor of mine was teaching me, we have to put ourselves in alpha and theta. And that's, a lot of the times, that's when we're in the shower. All by ourselves, no distractions, the warm water's flowing over our heads. It's when we're falling asleep at night and it's peaceful in the house and we're in our own thoughts and we're right between, literally, it's between the conscious mind and subconscious mind. We go to a little place and it's called trance. And that's where the doors of heaven can open and the impressions can flow down and come into us. And it's so, it was just, it hit me. I feel like I'm literally, <laughs> I'm literally becoming a butterfly, Tiffany. With these concepts, I'm learning. That's when we visualize. That's when we open our mind and say, I can do anything. We have positive influences. We have soft music in the background or a waterfall or just we're at peace. We're aligned. We're aligned with God. Our desires are his desires. 
And we are on line with the things in the goals and the places that we're headed. We're all becoming butterflies, and not only that, we're helping each other to fly. We're linking arms and flying together. And we have to remember that we need to be quiet, be still, meditate, take these times. That's when these impressions are going to be able to flow into your life. And then you get the privilege of acting. And it will fill your whole soul with excitement and enthusiasm and joy because you just acted. You did your say go be do. You didn't betray yourself and, and have excuses and go down that negative road that makes it so you can't receive those impressions. Does that make sense? You that makes perfect sense. Oh, my gosh. It just it opens up so you, you stop that channel. You go over to the positive, happy, good place, and, it's, and as you act and act and act and open that channel, open for the impressions and inspiration to just flow then you're going to become that butterfly and just be able to take off. And we're all going to be able to do it together. It's so exciting. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope that I hope that each of you takes the challenge to get Say Go Be Do inside of you and to keep the Say Go Be Do journal. And Cami, thank you for coming on today's call. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things. <laughs>